Well, the question I want us to think through today is, is Jesus relevant? I want to start by asking you if you've ever got someone wrong. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, there, was a, uh, there were two girls in, in my year who looked very similar. I ended up marrying one of them. Um, the problem was, <laughs> occasionally from behind, they looked exactly the same. And you'd walk up to them when I was at school, I was dating Sarah, and you'd be like, whoa, that's, that's not Sarah. And, um, and so there's, there's an importance to getting people right, isn't there? Um, I heard a story, a true story apparently, uh, that happened on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s. There's these bunch of hoodlums, I'd call them, kind of youths looking for trouble, uh, who got on a bus, and as they got on, they, they noticed this guy sitting up the back, kind of hunched down in the corner of the bus. And they're like, why don't we just take this opportunity to start hassling him, to pick a fight, to kind of provoke him and, and, and see if he'd bite back. So they start kind of saying stuff, you know, calling out to him and kind of doing these bits and pieces. They go and kind of shake the seat a bit and they, they do a bit more, but this guy just sits there doesn't move. They, they can't kind of stir him to do anything. They try and they try until finally this guy stands up. Problem is, he's bigger than he looked when he was sitting down. Uh, he stands up. He walks straight towards them. As he's walking down the aisle of the bus, he puts his hand in his pocket. He pulls out a piece of paper. He gently places the piece of paper in the hand of one of these guys, walks down the front of the bus and gets off. The bus keeps driving and these guys are just sitting there going, what happened? They kind of gather around the piece of paper and they realize that it's actually a business card. And on the business card were three words. It said, Joe Lewis, boxer. Joe Lewis would end up being, in a few years' time, the heavyweight champion of the world. From 1937 to 1949, he was undefeated. In fact, the 2005 International Boxing Research Organization, it exists, really, ranked him as the number one heavyweight of all time. Number two was Muhammad Ali. These guys had just tried to pick a fight with the best boxer this world has ever seen. There are some people in this world that if you get them wrong, the results can be catastrophic, can't they? And the question I want us to consider on, on this Good Friday is, have I got Jesus right? Have I got Jesus right? See, for many on the face of this planet, we heard some in Auckland this week, Jesus is irrelevant. You know, he's, he's probably a, a historical figure. He's maybe a good teacher with moral values, a person to possibly get some you know, ideas from. Maybe, unlikely, but he might be a miracle worker, a guy who did some crazy stuff. But when push comes to shove and we kind of look around at what society says and what we believe, well, Jesus often has very little to do with us. The history books are pretty clear. No ancient historian would deny that Jesus of Nazareth existed. It's just that we think... He's irrelevant. What's he got to do with me? Why should I care? But what I want to put to you today is, Jesus is the one guy you should care about. He's the one guy you don't want to get wrong. The claim of those who knew him, of the kind of eyewitness testimonies we have, of those who saw his acts and heard his teaching and walked on the face of this planet when he really walked 2,000 years earlier. This is their claim. 
your eternity hangs or falls on how relevant Jesus is to you. Your eternity forever hangs or falls on how relevant Jesus is to you. This is how John, one of his closest followers, put it. It's on the screen, John 3.36. He says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The claim of the Bible, one of the most historically verifiable books we have of events that have gone on, the claim that Jesus said in history these things has incredible relevance for us, doesn't it? Like if that is true, then that has incredible significance for the rest of my life, really. I think that verse, and that verse is kind of mainly what we're going to focus on today, um, says three things. And the first of them isn't really that nice. Firstly, I think it says we are deserving of God's anger. Secondly, that Jesus is the only one who brings relief from God's anger. And thirdly, that your response to Jesus determines your eternity. They're the three things we're going to work through this morning. Now, when I heard those words, number one, that we're deserving of God's anger, that God's wrath remains on those who reject Jesus. If I'm honest, I just feel like the Bible's trying to scare me into following Jesus. Don't you feel like, oh, it's like some big scary ogre standing out the front kind of saying, oh, unless you come to me, I'll do this and I'll do that. Yet I need to acknowledge something about anger, firstly. Anger's not always wrong and not always motivated by evil. There are situations where expressed slowly and justly and in a measured and appropriate way, anger is actually quite an appropriate response, isn't it? I remember a few years ago, I was, um, I was with my parents. Uh, I was probably just starting, just started university. Uh, I thought I owned the world. And um, And I remember going up some stairs at a train station. And as we were going up, I looked across and saw this guy kicking his girlfriend, what looked to be his girlfriend. She's there with a backpack on, and he's just laying into her with like these massive kicks. Now, you know, because I thought I was invincible, I just yelled out, hey, stop it, that's wrong. And then realized what I'd done, right? This guy, what, what would he, you know? Now, I was thankful that my dad's six foot four, and he was with me. Uh, so dad's tall and, we, and the guy just kind of stuck his finger up at, up at us and kind of walked off but <laughs> there's a sense in where I was angry at that situation and that was right wasn't it it's right to be angry in certain situations where if, if you sit and do nothing if you didn't scream if you didn't yell out well you're not really loving you know it's not just a cold hard intellectual decision I choose not to be angry or I choose not. It's, it's actually to, tr- to treat people justly. To see situations like that and to move on, well, it's kind of wrong, isn't it? The right response to these situations is anger. There are times, I want to say, where carefully and appropriately expressed 
anger is a right and loving response. But what we see here in this kind of bit of the Bible and throughout the whole Bible is that God is furiously angry. If you're going to provoke anyone to a fight, this is the person you don't want to provoke into a fight. The one who made us, the one who made the world, is furiously angry. But he's angry at the same things as you and I are, and more. He's angry at all the wrong in this world, the the exploitation, the abuse, the hurt, the things that just shouldn't be. God hates that. See, he's a God who cares about justice. He's a God who isn't indifferent to the world around him, a God who loves and wants what is right. But the problem is, we are one of those wrongs. We are people who not only experience wrong, but cause it. I don't know how many times you've found yourself reflecting on your life and the pain you've caused for others. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. Each one of us has at times said things we wish we'd never said, done things we wish we'd never done, thought things we wish we'd never thought. We are people that cause wrong. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons I'm so convinced that Christianity is actually true is that it makes sense of reality. It makes sense, the most sense out of anything I've ever read of why the world is the way it is. Broken families, broken promises, broken bones, broken hearts. They're all because we humans, me, Rowan, don't treat myself or others or God the way he made us to. The one who made us cares about justice, cares about wrong deeply, and he cares about when we do that wrong. The one who made us has the right to be treated as our maker because that's what he is. In fact, to treat him as anything else is to deny that he's God. It's to put ourselves in the place of God. It's to imagine he doesn't exist. Can you imagine if you went to your father or mother and said, I'm just going to treat you as though you don't exist. Or maybe you wouldn't say it. Maybe you just live it. Like there's something about that that is wrong. That's, that's the, I mean, uh, sure, there are some relationships where I know, I've heard of, I've, I've seen some of, um, not for me, but in the lives of others, where those relationships aren't what they should be, where fathers haven't been what they should be. But here we have a good, a loving God. And to say, I want nothing to do with you is offensive. It's wrong. What right do we have to claim his position? To think that we can make the rules if there is a God. And because of this, because of the way we treat him, we treat ourselves and we treat others, God is angry, rightly, justly. We all deserve God to be angry at us. Not one of us is is perfect. We can't even live up to our own expectations of ourselves, let alone God's. And God won't let that go on forever. 
That's the claim of the Bible. He will bring justice. Part of his character, his nature is to be just. And to pour out the just and right punishment on us for impersonating him. But the good news is the story doesn't end there. That's why we call today Good Friday. God's anger and justice, his fury on this day is matched perfectly and just as aggressively by his love. See, the justice and the love of God go hand in hand together. God cares so much about being just, about being right, and at the same time, cares so much about the world he created. He loves. Just a few verses earlier, in probably the most popular and most quoted verse in the whole of the, the, the writings we have about Jesus, says this, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's love is as radical as any other love you will see. A few years ago, I heard a story uh, about a little girl named Lisa. Lisa had a a pretty serious disease where um, the only real way that she could recover, her only chance of recovery was a blood transfusion from her brother. See, her brother had had the same disease and had somehow amazingly kind of gotten through it and his body had made the antibodies to this disease. And so the doctors kind of explained the the situation to the little brother uh, and asked the boy if he'd be willing to give his blood to his sister. The boy kind of hesitated for a moment. He took a deep breath and said, I'll I'll do it if it saves Lisa. And as the transfusion progressed, he lay in the bed next to his sister and he smiled. He smiled as he saw her, her cheeks start to glow again. Her body kind of drinking deeply from his blood, which was solving the issue in her He smiled as he saw the life he was able to give to his sister that otherwise would not happen. And then he started to get faint. His face grew pale and his smile smile faded. He looked up at the doctor and with a trembling voice he said, Will I start to die right away? This little kid thought... He had to die to save his sister. (laughs) And he was willing to do it. That's radical love, isn't it? That's a love that cares not about yourself, but about others. Jesus wasn't just willing to die for you. He did die for you. For you. The claim of history... Secular historians, Christian historians, is that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, died. He died on a Roman cross. And the claim of the Bible, those who knew Jesus the closest, was that his death was for you. As he was pinned to that cross, as the blood ran from his cheeks, as he turned pale, 
as the penalty that we deserve for turning our backs on God, for impersonating God, for, for trying to be God, for treating others the way we shouldn't, as the penalty we deserve was poured out on Him. As He faced the anger of God, the justice of God on our behalf, He had you in mind. He had you in mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. While maintaining his justice, God loves us incredibly. (laughs) By allowing his son to die in your place. By allowing Jesus to willingly say, I will die so you don't need to. God's justice was maintained. And God's love poured out in the one same act, Good Friday. Friends, whatever you do, don't mistake Jesus for someone he's not. He may have died over two millennia ago. He may have lived on a different continent. He may have spoken a different language. But the one thing he's not is irrelevant. The claim of history is that Jesus died for you, with you in mind. He has massive implications for you, whether you believe him or not. Your view of him is kind of irrelevant. The relevance is that he died for you, without you asking for it, without me asking for it, without us being in any way good or in any way turning to him. Jesus died. It happened. It's done. And our response to him, says John, determines eternity. Have a look at John 3.36 again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. If this Good Friday thing actually happened... If all the non-Christian sources are correct, if this is what the early church based their beliefs on, if this is what caused the movement that caused Christianity to explode across the known world, if it actually happened, then your response to Jesus determines everything. He's the one guy in life, the one fact you don't want to get wrong. Do, Do you see how relevant he is? Your response to Jesus determines your eternity. He's the heavyweight champion of the world who copped the beating for you. He's died your death. He has faced your judgment. He's absorbed the penalty that had your name on it. Your eternity hangs or falls on how relevant Jesus is to you. See, Jesus' death was sufficient for the whole world. But it's only efficient. It's only effective for those who accept it, who who trust him, who believe he is who the Bible says he is. For those who come to him and say, my eternity depends on you. 
then Jesus' benefits flow to us. Doesn't depend on my actions. They only led to my death. But on your Jesus' action. Jesus' action in your place. Jesus' blood poured out so that we could have life so that penalty was paid, so we can be in right relationship with God, the just God, the loving God. It's kind of like this. Imagine you get charged for a crime you did commit, something you've actually done. You get taken to court, you get tried, you get found guilty. The judge is just. He can't say, oh, it's fine, you're right. He must bring down the hammer and say, guilty. Here's the penalty. But imagine then the judge walks around the other side, comes up to you and writes out a check for the full payment of the fine you need to pay. He's at the same time incredibly just, but incredibly loving. He writes you a check, a full check for the crime that that you have committed. The check is sufficient to cover the penalty. But you actually need to accept it. It's quite possible to walk out of that courtroom, leaving the check on the table, saying it's cool, I'll I'll deal with it myself. You know, I reckon that I'll be able to pay by myself. It's quite possible for us as we come to God to say, that's all right, I don't need you to take the wrath, I'll take it myself. I think I'm pretty good, I don't think there's that much. It's possible to walk away from the very life you need because you think Jesus is irrelevant. Friends, the greatest tragedy in this city, in the lives of our friends, of our family, of ourselves, is is not drugs or sex or same-sex marriage or murder or theft or poverty or homelessness or abuse. The greatest tragedy is that people are dying under the wrath of God when they don't need to. Surely, if someone has paid the price, if God has done it in Himself and allowed us to come to Jesus, to come to Him, not guilty, or guilty but paid for, then to reject that is the greatest tragedy that could occur. I don't say this lightly, but there is nothing more important to you on this Good Friday than recognizing the relevance of Jesus. The job you get, the car you drive, the houses you own, the bank balance you have, the spouse you woo or the degree you achieve, the reputation you uphold, all of them last for but a second compared to eternity. If this is true, if Jesus was who history claims he was, then he's the one person you can't bear to claim as irrelevant. Jesus offers you eternity forever. I find it hard to grasp that. Don't, I find it hard to think how long forever is. But what I do know is it makes the struggles of now look so, so small. We're going to play a video for you right now.
Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Complex. And every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you are slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. And it separates us more and more. What are you searching for? destroyed, but to know me, so I became one of you, a fragile creation, I was tempted, but I never sinned, I came to save you, you have so many sins, and they have a cost, someone has to die, you or me. So I took on your sin and traded in my life for yours. And I died in your place. Because I love you. Friends, it's my hope that as we see the claim of John, the claim of Jesus, that we don't see him as irrelevant. That we see Jesus has come for you and for me. That's my hope that on this Good Friday, you would come to Jesus and, and accept his offer of life. That you'd be reminded, if you already trust Jesus, of how amazing it is that he would do that for me. And that you might go away today asking Jesus to captivate you that you might be led by following him, by putting your life in his hands, by trusting that he's paid the price, by taking that check and banking it and say everything rides on him. I'm going to pray just before we have time for questions. But if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, then why don't you just echo the words I'm going to say in your own head quietly to yourself. But why don't we pray?
Father God, as we hear of your anger towards us, it reminds us of the wrongness of the way we've lived. We are sorry for trying to impersonate you. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. That you, when Jesus died, would see the payment complete, exhausted, so that we might know you. And we ask that we would trust Jesus, that you would help us to rely on him, that he might be the one who has saved us and the one who leads us, and that we would put you back in your rightful place as God, ruler of our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So if there are questions, I'd love to answer them. Um, here we go. Did Jesus die for, I'll stand over here a bit. Did Jesus die for all mankind? Um, I think John 3:16 says, yes, for God so loved the world, all of humanity, uh, that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, his death was sufficient for the whole world, um, but only applies, is only efficient, effective to those who trust in Jesus. Um, so yeah, I'd say absolutely. There is no one who Jesus' death is insufficient to cover their sins. What is the penalty for rejecting God? Um, that's a great question. Um, it seems that God is the one who gives life. If by very, very, very definition, God is the first mover, the one who is in control of all things. And so if we say, I don't want God in my life, well, the penalty is God actually says, okay. So you see back in, in the start of Genesis, in the first book in the Bible, Adam and Eve, they try to be God themselves. They try to kind of um, run life their way to determine what is good. And the result is, well, you can no longer be connected to me. Now, that video is so helpfully explained. It's the unplugging of ourself from God's sustenance. It's death. Um, Paul is really clear in Romans that the wages of sin is death, is what he says. What does sin achieve? Sin achieves a separation from God's goodness and the penalty of no longer being in relationship with Him, no longer experiencing the good of this world, but sitting underneath his judgment and his anger. Uh, in the end, it's actually what we ask for. I think I can run my life better without him. And he says, okay. And that's the world we live in. And what's to come after death is a world with none of God's goodness at all. None of his sustaining power. None of him actually keeping the goodness there. I'd love to chat more if you've got more questions on that. By saying that Jesus is relevant, am I just sensationalizing him? Um, I guess, hard to know what you mean by it. So am, I, am I just making him bigger than he really is? Um, it's possible that people kind of took this guy and made him bigger than he really was, larger than life. Uh, and then kind of went, okay, so we should, we should follow him. Um, but the thing is, he actually claimed that he came to die for the world. Uh, those words, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, came off the lips of Jesus. So I don't think we're taking Jesus and making Him bigger. Uh, I think 
what we're doing is showing what he claimed to be. My question is, are you taking Jesus and minimizing him? Because he's much more comfortable when he's not who the Bible claims he is. It's much more comfortable to kind of say, oh, I don't think resurrection can happen. And we'll be looking at that on Sunday. I, I, I don't think he actually rose from the dead because I don't think that's possible because then I don't have to deal with him when all the evidence, the historical evidence points to the fact that the best explanation for the rise of the church, for an empty tomb, for people giving their lives to Jesus, the, the only explanation that makes sense of all those facts is that he actually is who he says he is. Uh, so I, I, I'd say to you, and I'd love you to check it out, to come and have a look and work out, am I sensationalizing him? Am I making him bigger? Or, or is actually this, is, is this who he says he is? Um, if, if you'd love to check that out, we'd love to chat some more. Um, let us know on the little connect card that you'll get in your outlines. Uh, you'd love to chat about it some more. Great. So what I thought I'd do now is just pray. Again, speaking to this God who's done this, who showed us his radical love and at the same time maintained to be just. Why don't we pray together and thank our God for this Good Friday. Father God, we want to thank you so much that you love us. For a love that was so costly, for a people who are so wrong and so rebellious against you. We thank you that you have loved us and that you have provided your son to die in our place. Father, we ask that this Easter, we wouldn't get so caught up in kind of holidays and, and kind of chocolate. And, but we'd remember the amazingness of the gift you've shown us, the radical, radical love displayed on the cross that was for me.